Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 15 of Music Is Not a Genre, the first episode of 2023. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash musicisnotagenre, anchor.fm slash musicisnotagenre. Public Hub is youtube.com slash at music is not a genre. My website is nickdematio.com. And near and dear to my heart, nearest and dearest, please listen to and support my band Rec at recarea.bandcamp.com, where we've just released our new compilation album. It wasn't me, covers and movie music and uh, some fun songs like that including some Beatles songs, actually. So recarea.bandcamp.com. Please go over there, take a listen, and support. Let's get right to it. This is the second of my six-part series on the Beatles, part two, called Strung Out and Stretching Superstars. See all those S's? Isn't that clever? So this is going to go over, as those of you who can see, and, and those of you who are just listening, I will tell you, their first two film albums, and the album that was sandwiched in between. I feel like this might be one of the least explored eras of the Beatles as far as the music itself goes. I mean, you hear the big songs, Help and, and Hard Day's Night, and of course, all you know, all the hits. But as far as what was happening with the Beatles during this period... More, I think, was, was mentioned about the film and about its being, you know, their kind of last gasp of performing live and, and other things that were happening in their careers than actually delving into the music. So I hope to unfold some of that here. Uh, this is also, uh, and, and this is why I say this, this is, every Beatles phase is transitional. I mean, that's what made the Beatles amazing. You can listen to so many other bands and they stay relatively the same over long stretches or several albums or even a couple of albums. The Beatles never did that. You know, they didn't do more than a couple of albums along the same lines before moving on to something else. And then of course, towards the end, every album was different in some way. And, and yet I contend that this period might be the most significant as far as transitions go, because it bridged the gap between their you know, straight up rock and roll cover band, more imitative years and their upcoming creative outburst of genius and originality 
you know, where, where they got into Rubber Soul and Revolver and all the studio work that they did, the, the, the you know, subtleties and different significant things there. This phase is when they started stretching beyond their influences and exploring what it meant to be themselves, to be fully the Beatles. And this is also the phase when they were starting to get really burned out. You know, they had years of performing live. And then on top of that came shooting the films and press junkets and all of that. It is that, you know, much more touring and they were really strung out and yet needed to deliver albums. And we'll get to, you know, that when we get to the middle album. So that's why I called it strung out and stretching. See, it's just so clever, just so clever. And I'll say this on a personal note, this is probably the era of the Beatles most connected to my own childhood, to when I really got into the Beatles heavily. It might be partly because my dad uh, started to get into them around this, you know, that time in, in real time in the 60s. And so kind of passed on his love of this era to me. It might be that this was the music that felt most Beatlesy to me and easiest to get into. It might be because of the films, you know, I don't know. But this was before uh, I got a little older and got into uh, Sgt. Pepper's and then Abbey Road and then more and more later on. We'll get into other episodes. This was, I think, the first era of theirs that I fell head over heels for. And yes, and, and, and as I have reviewed these songs, I've felt that they uh, have evoked more of my childhood than probably any other uh, songs of the Beatles, any other era. So I think that now would be the time to just get into it, right? And my handy-dandy lovely, you know, from that uh, box set, these are all the CDs because my dad still owns his albums, and that's this is it. So this is Hard Day's Night. I'm showing you, uh, those of you listening, just imagine me holding up a CD. Uh, yeah. And then there's a giant booklet in here, which is awesome. And, you know, you've got some other photos, such like that. I really do recommend getting that box set. Um, it's just great to have it in hand and, and be able to, you know, really t tangibly touch these albums, even if they're in, you know, CD form. 1964. This is music from the movie, of course. And interesting fact, it, the, there were only three albums that did not have Ringo lead vocal. And this is the first one that did not have a Ringo lead vocal, despite the fact that the name of the movie and the title song came from something that Ringo said. So kind of an interesting thing there. Uh, I think that if you, you, know, if you listen closely... You'll still hear kind of a little bit of their early influence with the rock and roll, but it's 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 starting to lean more into their take, uh, and and there's more chordal complexity, and I have to say this about not just this era, but even though this is to me when it really started to bubble up, but every era of the Beatles, many people, even fans, but particularly people who are either casual fans or or don't listen to the Beatles much assume that the Beatles' music was simple, that even their simple songs were simple, that even their rock and roll songs had simple chord progressions and nothing, nothing you know, interesting to speak of. That couldn't be further from the truth. And I can tell you this as a musician, being in a Beatles cover band, 
that you go in when 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 we first really started to try to learn their entire catalog because we do request shows and things like that you go in thinking well i'll tackle the easy ones first and yes to be honest there are a few that are very simple and that's great but there are ones where you think oh you know hard days night or whatever it is this should be really easy but you haven't analyze the chord structure yet you haven't analyzed certain things that the bass does since i'm the bass player in the band you know that to me means if you even know the beatles really well go back and listen to this just the subtle complexities that almost all of their songs have and frankly even the songs that have simple chord structures still have complexities in there it's what made you know it's one of the things that made them great uh, this, you know, beginning here, this is when they started to experiment a little bit with their sound. Not so much experiment in the in the way you were thinking of it, but just adding in new things like a, folk, a folksy 12-string sound. Uh, a big one here, which is the song Can't Buy Me Love. When you think of Hard Day's Night, when you think of Eight Days a Week or, you know, any songs from this era, you think of a lot of stuff, but you think of vocal harmonies, right? Which is the Beatles. To me and to many people, vocal harmonies were incredible. But, and I bet you, you will think of Can't Buy Me Love and think of the same thing. There is not a single harmony, vocal harmony on Can't Buy Me Love. It's just the lead vocal. It's just the, the melody. Having said that, if you have the anthology from the 90s, there are versions of this song on there where they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do with it, and they had some harmonies on there. They had some cool backup harmonies, especially. And even though I agree with their final assessment that the version that ended up in the album is the best version, it's interesting to hear those harmonies there. And when I'm playing this song live, since I'm not singing the lead on this one, somebody else in the band sings it, I always have this impulse to want to do those backup harmonies, even though I don't know if anybody really would know them, you know, including the other band members. So track listing, here we go, right? It starts out with A Hard Day's Night, of course. Um, I should have known better with the harmonica. I mean, that to me is one of the first songs where I felt like, oh, this is something very different from what they were doing on their previous albums. Uh, if I Fell, it's just such a beautiful duet. Um, happy Just to Dance With You. Uh, you know, great George lead vocal, though it was not, you know, his song. But uh, a much better song than you remember it being. And I Love Her is just absolutely beautiful, especially the the percussion back there. Tell Me Why is vibrant and there's a there's a fieriness to it and can't buy me love and that's side one uh anytime at all uh is is a really i just find that to be a great song even though it's not one of their more popular ones i'll cry instead things we said today beautiful just subtle delicate song uh when i get home uh not as well known you can't do that is really exciting to play live. That works super, super well live. And then I'll be back, which if you have looked at the notes here for the podcast, you will notice that I always include, you know, featured song at the end. 
And this episode, the featured song is my cover of the song I'll Be Back. Is my band Rex cover of I'll Be Back from the album Syncope for the Weird. Uh, it's also just been included, remastered on our new album, It Wasn't Me, because it's a cover song, and that's a covers uh, compilation album. I'll talk more about that song when we get to the end, as I always do, but I wanted to mention that here. My favorites on this album, I Should Have Known Better, If I Fell, and I Love Her, Tell Me Why. There's a cool harmony in Tell Me Why, because you have the, and I'm not going to get the, I never get the key right when I sing off the cuff. I don't have perfect pitch, but tell me why you cried, you know. Tell me why you cried. That, I like the the way it's stepping down like that. There's something uh, almost uh, chanty about it. Uh, And then Can't Buy Me Love. And on side two, my favorites are Anytime at All, Things We Said Today. Uh, Just beautiful song. I hope we put that in our set. You Can't Do That, and I'll Be Back. The non-album singles for this, there were no non-album singles, at least not, you know, as far as the UK release goes, uh, which is unusual for them. They always, and I think it's partly because people making the film were were like, we're putting all the singles on the album because the singles are in the film. So let's do it that way. Uh, Let's get to the next album. I mean... I can say a whole bunch about A Hard Day's Night. I just talked to somebody who has watched it 117 times, which is a lot more than I've seen it. I've maybe seen it three times, maybe more than that. I've watched it also with my kids and, and such. Uh, it's it's not a toss-off film, if you've never seen it. None of their films are really toss-off films. They are They have varying degrees of quality, let's say, and and they were going for different things, but there's something interesting in every film. And and a hard day's night isn't just a fictional chronicle of them becoming superstars and getting bombarded by fans and all of that stuff. There's there's just a lot of wit there, and a lot of that wit comes from the fact that they were dealing with a good director, Richard Lester, and just some really you know quality veteran comedic actors. I'm going to try to pull this out without knocking everything down, which I tend to do almost every other episode. Here's a weird one. Same year, later in the year, Beatles for Sale, 1964. Always loved this cover. I'll have to show you a mock-up I did of this once. When my uh, son was five, I made a bunch of mock-up Beatles uh, photos and photoshopped him in there because Five, Fifth Beetle, that kind of thing. And this was one of the pictures I used for that. Um, you're not going to see all that much. So this is a this is a great shot, too. This is a great shot. I, to be honest, I don't know that I knew this album existed when I was a kid. And it's because my dad had the American uh, version, which more or less was Beatles 65. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. And... And so this has always had a little bit a little bit of an air of mystery to me because I wasn't as familiar with the album. I also liked the the not just the cover but I liked the title a lot because it was them kind of expressing the fact that they're a commodity. 
They were in between films. They were touring. They were just worn out and they knew they needed to put something together. So they went to their easiest material, which was a, a kind of a hearkening back to their covers, although there's other things on there I'll get to, and threw it, tossed it out as quickly as they could. Because you're talking about Hard Day's Night in 64 and then Help in 65, and this was right in between there. Just imagine the frenzy that they were going through, through all of that. And and that whole idea of commodifying themselves, like we have to create a product, we're for sale, predated the Who Sell Out, which is also an awesome album from 1967. And I just, I thought that was interesting. I wonder if they were influenced. It, you know, this is a much stronger album than I think anybody would remember it being, partly because if you ask people to name three, five, eight Beatles albums, no one would name this album. You just may not even remember the name. It, it has both inventive originals, which again, I'll get to when I get to the track listing, and the covers themselves are interesting. And, and people have their opinions about, you know, I just saw a posting and somebody said, you know, what are the least popular Beatles songs? And Mr. Moonlight got on there. Good, that's fine to that person and whoever else. I I don't know how to classify what a least popular Beatles song is. So I'd be a terrible judge of that. But when you listen to that cover, you probably won't think of it as terrible. That's all I'm going to say. Had they stayed in this place, you know, if this is where they were, even if they put Hard Day's Night, there's some inventiveness there, some inventiveness on Beatles for Sale, they would have been known as a just a very successful British invasion band. But as we'll see on the next album, they never stayed in one place, you know. And I think part of the reason to me, their cynicism over the grind, over just being this product and being worn out, even though they love fans, you know, and they loved make, you know, making money, being successful, they were worn out. I think their, their disillusionment over that propelled them to stretch even further and make the music of ultimate importance over and above everything else and to and to never retread the way they did in a sense on this album and and never even come close to repeating themselves and to get more inventive and experimental and you can name a lot of bands who have been successful a lot of solo artists who have been successful who got caught up in that and either took bad advice or gave themselves you know bad advice and ended up not just retreading but making other things more important than the music. You know, and if that's where you're going, if that, oh, okay, I phased out of that part of my career, I'm like a, I don't know, a Harry Connick, I'm going to do a talk show now or something like that, that's fine if that's your choice. But if your whole life and the reason you breathe and live is music and, you, and that gets shunted aside because of everything else that's going on in your career then, you know, hopefully you'll come to your senses and come back to it and, and you know, start producing great things again, which, again, a lot of other artists have done. Uh, or you will end up never getting, you know, back to where you were. And, look, it's easy for me to say, not having been through that frenzy, uh, that, you know, you can get so caught up and overwhelmed that you can get lost. 
But that just tells me there's just a greater testament to the Beatles, who had one of the greatest frenzies in the history of any music of any kind, and found a way to not get lost, not to not not just to not get lost, but to find them find themselves even more. So track listing here, uh, still they're still such a strong cohesive foursome. Of course, they would be for another couple of albums at least. And uh, there's there's a lot of folk rock on here, which was something they were exploring more of, uh, like the birds and and you know Bob Dylan and all of that. I mean, what an opener! No reply. That doesn't even sound like an opening song for an album. That was them saying, you know, it's kind of a middle finger. Like, yeah, we're Beatles for sale, but we're going to sell ourselves our way. We're going to open with this song. Uh, A bit of a dark song, too. I really like that. And then I'm a Loser. That's like back-to-back dark songs. Third song, Babies in Black. Another, Another dark song and song that they had commented on quite often because it was one of their experiments in uh, three-quarter time. And some people might say it's 6-8 time. I think there's a strong kind of waltzy three-quarter feel to it, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, Rock and roll music, excellent Chuck Berry cover. I'll Follow the Sun is absolutely beautiful. The way no reply is, but in in a different... Uh, vain, and I got to tell you, and I think some critics said this too. This might be their overall most negative album. I mean, you've got the covers, and that's fine, but some of those covers have a real grit to them. Uh, all their originals, well, not no, not all of their originals, but but many of their originals, especially on side one, are pretty negative. I mean, I'll follow the sun. Listen to the words. One day you'll look to see I've gone. Tomorrow may rain. I'll follow the sun. It's like going where the good stuff is, you know, whatever else was going on there is kind of a negative sentiment, you know. Self-protective, maybe, but negative. Mr. Moonlight, uh, I like it. I'm not going to say I love it, but I like this, and I like it because there's some wailing in there, you know. Uh, Kansas City is one of those kind of bugaboos for anybody who performs the Beatles, and you're doing the Paul stuff. If somebody says do this song, you you want to just shoot yourself, unless you already are an amazing tenor and have that range, because it's one of the highest pitched songs that McCartney sang. You know, it's up there with like maybe I'm amazed and stuff like that. Uh, next side, eight days a week. Great words of love. Buddy Holly was one of their you know influences the crickets that's where they got beetles from started out being an insect reference uh honey don't good good ringo star song our drummer does that song he, he always says and now the moment you've all been waiting for as a joke uh every little thing which i'm going to talk about in a second i don't want to spoil the party okay what you're doing interesting song and again kind of negative and everybody's trying to be my baby, Harrison lead, and the second Carl Perkins song on this album. So they were, like I said, into that kind of uh, country folk rock stuff going on here. My favorites from this album are are number one, No Reply, I'm a Loser, Babies in Black, is is one of those. I think that's one of the songs where they realize they just probably shouldn't be performing live anymore because they would do that live. And 
I don't know that anybody was appreciating it. They were thrilled about doing it because they were kind of bucking, you know, like, oh, it's not a straight four on the floor. But it, you know, who knows who who appreciated in any of the live shows they did. Number five, I'll follow the sun. Beautiful. And I put six on there. I put Mr. Moonlight as one of my favorites. Uh, you, you know, it's weird. It's weirder than you remember it being, especially when you compare it to the original. Uh, written by Roy Lee Johnson. And the side two, uh, I'm not going to put eight days a week on there because I sing that and I'm sort of over it in the moment. I mean, obviously it's a great song, but I'm not going to name it as my favorite. Words of Love is really nice, just for the harmonies. Every little thing, the reason I put that on is because I, I heard when I was just devouring Yes and all of their albums, I heard their version of this. And they turn it into a completely different kind of song. In some ways, a little over the top. In some ways, better than, than the original. Uh, they were hugely influenced by the Beatles. It's not, you know, the only cover they did. And I wasn't, I don't think I knew the song that well by the Beatles. This is way, 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 way back. When I heard the Yes version. And when I realized, oh crap, that's a Beatles song. It blew me away. And so that's, I have to put that on there as one of my favorites. Uh, what You're Doing, I put on because I think it deserves a second, third, fourth listen. It's not a song that anybody would name as a Beatles song or pick as their favorite. But it has, a, again, a little weirdness. There's a sourness on all this album that's very intriguing, like in a good way. And that, and that to me is epitomized as far as the solo stuff, uh, the, I mean the original stuff, by What You're Doing. And then everybody's trying to be my baby is just that's just a fun song. There's nothing that's very unassuming. But we get to perhaps the two most important songs of this era for me and and even maybe for them. I feel fine. And the B-side, She's a Woman, they were non-album singles. One of the first 45s I bought when I was a kid was this one. I feel fine. She's a woman. It's probably a reissue. I don't think it was something from this, probably from the 70s, not the 60s. And this is hands down my favorite non-album single pair. And it's probably because I listened to it so long. I I memorized that sound of the, the guitar distortion at the beginning of I Feel Fine. I love the kind of chunk-a-chunk rhythm of She's a Woman and Paul's vocal being meatier than usual kind of and yet still obviously way up high is a song I want our band hasn't done she's a woman yet I'd love for them to do it and I still have that 45 I could have brought it out but I I didn't think about that um yeah so that's that album and now I'm getting to Beatles 65 I'm just going to mention it it had eight tracks from Beatles for sale it had I'll be back on there which was not on the U.S. version of a hard day's night it also had the non-album singles, I Feel Fine and She's a Woman. It seemed like for the first half of the Beatles' career, the U.S. would frequently create brand new albums that included parts of other albums and then the non-album singles, which is why they were able to create more albums than the U.K. versions. I, didn't, I haven't done a count of how many official U.S. albums there were, but it's more than the U.K. albums. 
And as evidenced by same year, again, another U.S. release, something new, 1964. This one had mostly tracks from Hard Day's Night. It also had Slow Down and Matchbox, which are great songs. That They're from the Long Tall Sally EP, which I just learned about. Hey, tell me what else is on there other than Long Tall Sally. Uh, and they had the German language version of I Want to Hold Your Hand on Something New. My dad didn't have this one, so I didn't know it that well, but he did have Beatles 65. And yeah, so anyway, that's that's just wanted to mention that. And I want to mention one more because we're, we'll get to this last album right after. And that is the U.S. album Beatles 6 VI, 1965. It had the song Bad Boy on there, which may be the only song that the Beatles recorded for specifically for the U.S. market. And it had Dizzy Miss Lizzie on there, which is on the U.K. version of Help, but not on the U.S. version of Help. Both are covers of Larry Williams' songs. And uh, two other tracks from the, the forthcoming U.K. release of Help, You Like Me Too Much and Tell Me What You See, are also on Beatles 6 did not end up on the U.S. version of Help. And the remaining six tracks are the ones from Beatles for Sale that they didn't put on uh, something... Uh, I'm sorry. Didn't put on Beatles 65. So, ha, uh, um, And then, Yes It Is. Nice little song. That's a great song. In, in a lot of ways, uh, just the, the intricate harmony in there. It's the first Beatles cover song I ever did. I was a teenager, I had a four-track cassette recorder, and I layered those vocals, I studied the vocals, I layered them. I put a very subtle keyboard bass at the bottom just to keep key for me, and the rest of it was just a cappella. There were no other instruments or anything. You can find it on my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash rec area, I think, Uh, but I'm not going to include it here because I'll Be Back is on the end. Which brings us to the final album for this episode. Help! I mean, you can't get much more iconic. And this in many ways was sort of the height of that first, you know, phase of their success. Just everything about it. And it's it's a color film, whereas Hard Day's Night was black and white. It was uh, one of the first spoofs, if not the first spoof, of James Bond films. And when I revisited this for this episode, I have to say, and I don't know that I would have said this before, probably easily top five strongest uh, Beatles albums, maybe even top three. If you listen back to it, you will be just amazed at the strength. And even though Hard Day's Night is amazing, and Beatles for Sale, it was what it was, Help was yet just a, just another leap forward. It wasn't quite the leap they would take on Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, which will be in the next episode, but it was far enough away from Hard Day's Night, which was only a year before, where you're like, they've, they've been blowing their own minds with the stretching that they were doing as strung out as they were. Reference to the title again, because it's just so damn clever. Um, And I think side one of this album, and this is not a maybe, 
is in the top three best sides of any Beatles album. Seven songs, as they usually did. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It would be hard to find a stronger track-for-track side on any Beatles album. I mean, there's probably, like I said, it's top three, easily top three. And this, of course, would happen more and more as they came into their own. But the fact that this happened here just shows how much they shoved aside all the, the frenzy and just focused on the music. This was also the last album they put out before they quit performing. And to me, the last album that has any pinch of their early innocence. You know, they kept some of that early rock and roll. I mean, I say innocence, but just musically speaking. Uh, and it's the last album, I think, that has that. I was, and, and this is great. This, to me, is one of the great things about this album. I was way more familiar with the U.S. version than the U.K. version, again, because my dad had all of the albums. And the U.S. version includes the score music or some of the score music at the end, the James Bond-esque score music with a little bit of the Indian music influence. I think it was the first uh, album and first tracks on any Beatles album that had the sitar, uh, even though they weren't Beatles songs, the guy who wrote the score, you know. Uh, I loved that music maybe as much as I loved the Beatles themselves. I mean, it just puts you into a world. And even though... Hard Day's Night is maybe more iconic as a film. I have always liked Help as a film even better. And I think because it's just so outrageous and for all of those crazy reasons. So let's get uh, to the track listing. First side, we've got We've Got Help, The Night Before, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, I Need You, which to me is the first... George Harrison's song that was super, super strong. You know, it was really where he was showing, oh, I can do this too. Uh, Another Girl, if you don't remember it, listen to it. You're going to lose that girl. Uh, No, easy enough. Uh, And Ticket to Ride uh, with that amazing drumming from Ringo. Side two, uh, Act Naturally which was the last cover that the Beatles would do when they used to do a ton of them until Maggie May on Let It Be, which was honestly just a kind of a studio toss-off anyway. Uh, so to me, it was the, the really the last proper cover that they did. Act Naturally, Ringo sang it. Um, I've played it before solo. Our drummer sings it in the band. It's Only Love, beautiful, interesting rhythm. You Like Me Too Much. Okay, that's a Harrison song. Tell Me What You See. I've Just Seen a Face. Absolutely beautiful. Yesterday. I mean, and the reason why I'm not even going into everything about yesterday, about how it stretched what a rock band could do, etc., 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 is because you've heard it all before. And you know it. And if you don't know it, then you've got a lot of Beatles learning to do. And all I'll say really uh, about that is it's, I think, maybe still the most covered song in history and probably convinced a lot of non-rock and roll people at the time that the Beatles were forced to be reckoned with. Uh, Dizzy Miss Lizzie, another Larry Williams cover. So, all right, here we go, right? 
my favorites. I'm just going to say it. All of Side One. Every single song on Side One is a favorite of mine. Even Another Girl. Absolutely. Even absolutely George Harrison's I Need You. As far as the second side, I like Act Naturally a lot. I've always liked that song. I thought that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of most kinds of country music, but the fact that they did it and they did it in their own way was always awesome. And it's just a great song and a funny song. Uh, It's Only Love. I get high when... I mean, that's just a... It's it's an interesting melody and an interesting rhythm. And it comes together and becomes just a beautiful song. And then I've just seen a face, which has, again, that kind of country folk feel to it, really. And then the non-album singles. Uh, I'm Down. It's another one I want our band to do, but... We're, we're kind of afraid, like, who's going to get up that high vocally? But that's just such a scorching song, the way the way they did it. It's just amazing. And then the B-side was Yes, It Is. And I talked about that uh, when I was talking about the U.S. album. Those are the three I'm talking about today. Um, and now let's get to the last part, as always. The song that I'm including here, and you'll hear in just a few minutes, is my version of the, you know, uh, Hard Day's Night song, or at least on the UK version, I'll Be Back. And I would suggest, and I suggest this, uh, when you're listening to Rex's album, It Wasn't Me, anything that's a cover on there, go listen to the original first, if you don't know it, and then compare the two, because... Even though there are a couple songs on there where I deliberately stuck pretty close to the original, as you know, one of the things I love to do is to mess with originals in a way that keeps the spirit of the original, but changes how it sounds, uh, you know, puts it in a different context, contemporizes it, however you want to say it. And I had planned to do this cover for a while, but didn't know what to do with it. And then, you know, back a few years ago when my kids were really into Hamilton, there's a beat on one of those songs, I don't remember which one anymore, that for some reason merged in my mind with the song I'll Be Back. And I thought, okay, I can bring the kind of R&B-ness of this song out more so than the original has because you don't, you don't need to redo something that, that's perfect in, in the way that it was done, change it to something else. And... I I mean, I don't know what else to say other than I'm just very, just imagine one of those kind of uh, more slow and smoky Hamilton songs with a funky beat and, you know, kind of warm sounds, warm keyboards and all of that. But as the Beatles song, I'll Be Back, that's, that's what it turned out to be. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It was also partly inspired by the Danger Mouse uh, album, the Grey album, where he combined uh, Jay-Z's The Black Album with the Beatles' The White Album, and showing that the Beatles, as if you don't know this, you should know it, and I'll say it more than once in these episodes, the Beatles were were very funky, and they could be funky, and they, they are funky, and there's funkiness in there that you may not even pick up on, and people like Danger Mouse and this, my cover of this kind of illustrate the funkiness that's inherent in some of these songs and the soulfulness and smokiness. And that's the story here. That is episode two 
of my six-part Beatles series. Next episode, which will come in a few weeks, is going to jump right into that studio period. Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Peppers. I think I included all three of those in there. Uh, and for now, I'd love to know what you think about these albums. Are any of these your favorite? Are any of your favorite Beatles songs on these albums? Did you know a lot about uh, Beatles for Sale? And did you think that this era was, you, you know, their favorite era of yours or their strongest era? I'd love to know all that because my objectives here, as always, are music, conversation, and connection. Stay tuned for Rex's version of I'll Be Back. Thank you for watching and listening. And I'll talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.